And Elizabeth, you're a doctor, right? I am not the perfect Asian daughter because I am not a doctor or a lawyer. I haven't had any stories of people shoving things up the butt that should be up there. Welcome back to another episode of the Captain Bagrag Podcast, where we're on a mission to fight boring news about Asia and Australia. It's a tough job, but you know, someone's got to do it. As always, we're recording from downtown Chinatown, and today I welcome Elizabeth. Hey, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. And Elizabeth, you're a doctor, right? As of Tuesday, scary thought. Ah, you're going to be operating on me one day, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, surgery's not really my... Kind of thing, but uh, maybe we'll see. <laughs> and there's another thing. I don't. I don't know, but a lot of the listeners might know that um, I am not the perfect Asian daughter because I am not a doctor or a lawyer. So I think you're the perfect white Asian daughter. I don't know. My parents are pretty disappointed. I chose medicine. Oh, really? Yeah. So they're not like white tiger parents. Mm-mm. My. <laughs> Um, father's defense. Um, okay. In fact, my entire family is defense going back like three generations. Oh, wow. That's yeah. quite a lineage to, uh, to live up to. Yeah. Um, and when I didn't choose to go to the Australian Defense Force Academy, bum, 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 <laughs> it was not a good shot. Hey, mum and dad, I got into medicine. <laughs> so you're not going to ADFA. I got into medicine. You're not serving the nation. <laughs> you're not going to ADFA. Well, no, ADFA doesn't do medicine, mum and dad. <laughs> Adfa, but 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 medicine. <laughs> but but surely, um, Adfa can sponsor a doctor, right? So or... the defense force can sponsor doctors once you're partway through your training. Okay. Um, but I guess the real appeal for Adfa was you start immediately as an officer and you get a free university education, yeah. which medicine is not free at all. <laughs> Medicine's very expensive, I hear. <laughs> um, if you're an international student or you're don't have a CSP place, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you have a Commonwealth-supported place, then your hexed is about 11000 a year. Oh, that's not too bad, Yeah, 11, a year. That's uh, normal. Yeah, as yeah. an undergraduate, it's the same price as education, or, uh, sorry, as um, engineering or law. Okay, so that's I've what got, I'm saying. Yeah, $66,000 under my belt, but... I start with a guaranteed job at 69000 so. Yeah, and they only tax you or you have to pay back the hex or whatever you call yeah. it um, these days uh, only once you have a job, yes. right? Yeah, so it'll be fine. Yeah. Everyone's got this. This is a good debt to mm. have. Well, considering it's interest-free, it's probably the best debt you can have. <laughs> uh, I know. Talk about mortgages, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then how long does it take to become a doctor? Because to become a fully-fledged doctor, it takes a long time, I hear. Yeah, so the fastest way to become a doctor is to finish high school, go straight into a five-year undergraduate program, do your two years as an intern and resident, and then go for GP training, and all up, that's nine years. That's a really long time of your life. Yep. Yes, considering you do what a kindergarten all the way through to year twelve. Yep. And then you do another nine years. Yep. Oh wow. And if you want to be a surgeon, the training's longer. It's like five or six years once you're on the training program, but you'll spend four or five years just trying to get on to the program. Wow. Yeah. That's I, a lot of dedication. That is a lot of dedication. The right. surgeons who get onto the program are people who light up when they're operating because there's no way you keep trying to get on and do their stupid hours yeah. unless surgery was your life. Wow. So no wonder, uh, you know, a lot of surgeons and a lot of doctors, you know, in those sort of emergency and the really high mm-hmm. intensity areas don't really have a life. Yeah. <laughs> All I hear about is like, oh, no, nah, I'm always at work. Yeah. 
Well, of course, we've got the case of Dr. Kudota from last year, the um, Bankstown Hand Surgery Registrar, who had to quit after having severe overworking and bullying and harassment issues. Oh, so, no. um, I guess the the thing that's most sad about that is not that it's it clearly it seriously screwed up an individual, but when I was reading the story, I was not surprised. Okay. I could totally see how that would happen. And the fact that I'm not surprised by such mm-hmm. a bad outcome says we've got something really seriously wrong in medicine. So is this because there's a shortage of doctors? Because, like, in, in the news, I'm always hearing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people saying we need more hospitals, we need more beds, we yep. need more doctors. Mm-hmm. Then why are we still, um, you know, the hospital's being built. Yeah. Um, and I, I keep seeing that government's providing mm-hmm. more money, funding, yep. but then somehow we're still not resolving this. Yeah. So there's a couple of issues there. One is funding. Um Doctors are expensive. Nurses are expensive. Very, yes. Um, Machines are also expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Medicines like babies, weddings, and fly fishing, you put that tag on and it's five times the price. <laughs> um, so it's expensive to get the equipment we need. Mm. It's expensive to hire the people who have there. But we also have a bottleneck of training. Mm-hmm. So over the last 10, 15 years, medical shoot numbers have doubled. Which is good. Yeah, you'd expect to get more doctors, and we are. We're getting more junior doctors. Okay. But you can't practice completely independently until you've completely finished your training. And what's happening is we have too many junior doctors who still need supervision that can't get onto the training program to become a fully-fledged doctor. Because in the training program, they always have to go under a mentor in yeah. a way. We just don't have enough positions okay. of the different training programs. Oh, that's that's really disheartening. Yeah. Oh, no. There's also a distribution issue where we've got a lot of doctors in cities, yeah. but we desperately need them in the bush and people just don't want to go rural. Okay. But there are a lot of perks to go rural, right? Because you're about to go to Wagga. Yeah. yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so I'll be spending the next two years at Wagga Base Hospital, which is going to be fabulous. Excellent. Yeah. So um, some of the perks of going rural is once you're fully fledged, um, you get paid a lot more. Mm. So, for example, a GP in a city might bulk bill. Yeah. A GP rurally does not bulk bill. Mm-hmm. Or they only bulk bill certain patients. Okay. So already you're you're going to be getting more income from there. All right. Hospitals will pay you more because it's difficult to attract doctors out there. Yeah, because there's not much happening in a town compared to a city where you've got, you know, more nightlife and more options, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess the issue is what people count as rural. Yeah. So I grew up in Whoop Whoop, yeah. which is a real place, I promise. <laughs> Whoop Whoop. <laughs> It's actually it's called a very Australian way yeah. of saying it. It's actually <laughs> called nowhere. Yeah. It's actually called Boro, but um we're talking no man's power, no man's sewerage, no man's water, single dirt road that's twenty Ks and it's got twenty families on it. This is caveman. Yeah, this is caveman. This is total caveman. So when people say they don't want to go to Wagga, which yeah. is a major university town mm. that has a mire. And is, oh, that's actually not bad. Yeah, as an idea of size of town, it has a mire. It has two hospitals, and it's two hours from Canberra. Which is a, a capital city, not like Sydney, but it has all the <laughs> essentials of an art gallery and uh, everything else you might need. Yeah, well, people are like, that's way too rural. But that's also <laughs> the same people, if I'm guessing from your tone, also you who think Canberra is rural. Look, I'm actually from Canberra. I lived there pretty much all my life. So <laughs> yeah. it is a, it's, a, it's a bush capital. That's yeah. what it is. Um, it's it, better now. Yeah, rural doesn't always have to mean that you're the only doctor for like – a thousand kilometers away. Mm. It doesn't mean they don't have a supermarket. <laughs> Just not a beach. Like in yeah. So 
I guess there's a type of world fit everyone, yeah. but we really need it. Even if people just fly in and fly out, we need those services. Definitely. And I also understand that uh, being able to work in the rural, rural areas, you will have more opportunity to yeah. grow as a doctor. So when you're in rural um hospitals it it can be variable some days you'll be completely smashed and other mm. days you'll have it pretty light and easy mm. um but the doctors they care more mm. um they give more teaching they give up their own time to teach you and they also give you more responsibility oh which is good because you need to learn yeah on the job, right so when i was in Catherine hospital in the northern territory one of our junior doctors did a lumbar puncture which mm-hmm. is a needle into the spine to get um fluid there so we can see there's an infection in the brain yeah if you're in an inner city hospital that would probably be done by a registrar because there's just not enough time Mm. to teach a junior doctor how to do that okay no that's really good because you know the more practice you get the better you will absolutely with with any occupation yeah any skill set Mm -hmm. yeah so i think you chose well to go rural and just you know lift up your game and Mm. next thing you know you'll be on like a tv show be the equivalent of the you know like the bondi bondi vet (laughs) you'll be like wagga doc next tv show i'm going to be the (laughs) farmer wants a wife and i'll be the farmer So it'll probably be what? Farmer wants a husband? We'll see. Farmer wants a puppy? Yeah. I can't see why not. Yeah. They can come see my miniature cows. That's right. Channel Channel 10, get on to that. <laughs> and so what made you want to be a doctor? Like, I mean, there's so many other things you could do. Yeah. Why? Why? So some people talk about like this passion they've had since their like loved one was in hospital and the doctors did such an amazing job and some people were like I just want to help him and I can't think of anything more Mm. and for me it was well I thought I wanted to be a pharmacologist so a person making new drugs thought I'd have an amazing impact and then I realized I hate doing chemistry practicals (laughs) I love the theory I just I I didn't like doing it yeah I wanted other people to do it um so I'm like okay scrap the pharmacology thing um so then I thought okay well I want to help people and my grades are good enough you know what let's just apply for medicine I won't get in but I can say I applied yeah and well I got in (laughs) (laughs) and they're like I better accept I guess yeah well I didn't have any other uni programs I really wanted to do so let's go do medicine (laughs) and do you get queasy when you see blood or do do you have anything that would hold you back a little um so I have a couple of disabilities (laughs) as you do um so I have have disabilities yeah Yeah. I have a habit of fainting just like me yeah yep um, sign of blood or when I, when I see a needle going and I, I, get, I get all queasy? Well, for me, it's not that. The only things yeah. related to blood is um, I ha- when I was donating blood one time because you've got a big-ass needle in your arm and they're stealing your blood. Yeah. Um, and the first time I ever went to theatre. Which is not the acting theatre uh, on a stage. That would be the yeah, operating theatre. Theater. Okay. Yep. So um, I'd just scrubbed up, so that's washing my hands for five minutes under the watchful gaze of a nurse because God help you if you touch something. Mm. I'd then got it into the gown and I had a mask on, which means you can't really breathe oxygen very well. How are you supposed to operate <laughs> if you can't breathe? <laughs> so I'm all gowned, I'm all sterile, I'm not allowed to touch anything. Yeah, so hands up in the air like this? Exactly. All right. In a prayer position just in front of me. <laughs> and I'm standing looking after 
looking over the surgeon's shoulders for about two minutes. Um, yeah, it's yucky because they're making a fistula for um, what's dialysis. A, what's that? What's a fistula? So that's when you get the artery in the vein and you kind of join them together. So you've got a really, really big blood vessel. Okay. And it's so cool because if you put your fingers on it, it kind of thrums like you'd yeah, imagine yeah. a battery would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they were making one of those so this patient could have dialysis later mm-hmm. for bad kidneys. Um, and... I just I couldn't breathe. So I took a couple of steps away. I went to the corner. I, I tried taking off my gowns because I can't touch anything whilst I'm sterile. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm waking up in ED because I've passed out. They've rushed me to the resuscitation bay, which in case you were wondering, that's where car crash victims go. Um, because my heart rate got down to 14 beats per minute. You're which literally a zombie. <laughs> means I'm super fit, right? Super fit or half dead. Clearly the anaesthetist in the operating theatre thought I was half dead. Oh, no. Kept giving me all these drugs. Oh, They're like, no. we can't find a blood pressure. <laughs> Probably because my heart rate's so damn low. Oh, no. And during this whole thing, our patient was awake. <laughs> Watching this poor med student. Exactly. So <laughs> the surgeons kept operating because there's not much they can do. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the poor patient's just stuck. It was like, I'm supposed to be the star of the show when here's this <laughs> damn med student taking it away. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I guess it was a bit of drama for me today. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you feel when you woke up? You're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I fainted. Right? Uh, well, I've been fainting on and off for 10 years. So yeah. I-, I guess it was more disappointing because my team was very good at keeping me out of theatre for the rest of that rotation so I didn't get the experience I needed Mm. but I've caught up since then oh that's good yeah you've been able to control your fainting for a little bit or or just a different area yeah it it doesn't I can't really control it it just happens Um, but luckily it doesn't happen often enough to be have me kicked out of medicine (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I I hope it only improves as you know. Yes. You know, the more the stronger you get, you know, the less yep. painting you do, the, the stronger mm-hmm. you get, and you get through it. Um. So, did anything prepare you for for medicine? So obviously, you would have had to study a lot. You know, yeah. on, on, you know, by reading mm-hmm. books and things yeah. like that. Did you again a situation where like, whoa, they did not teach me that in the books? Yeah. So um. I was in the birthing suite when I was on an obstetrics rotation, which is the doctors who look after the birthing process. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the birthing suite, that stuff's just... Some of the midwives talk about the miracle of life. Which is holding the baby in your bare hands, right? And just like, well, this woman's just created a whole new life. She's like a goddess. She's like femininity personified. And I'm just like... The woman just pooed whilst the baby pooed as the baby was coming out. (laughs) And, like, completely normal. You're doing a lot of pushing there. You're not just pushing a baby out. Pushing everything else from down there out. Um, And the midwives just wipe it away. We don't tell the woman because she'd get really embarrassed. And it's medicine. I've seen so much worse. Oh, wow. What's so much worse? um, So probably the grossest thing I've seen is we had an elderly gentleman Mm. who had to have a catheter put in. So that's a tube down the penis to the bladder to take urine out. That sounds really painful. Yeah, well, putting things down urethras is not comfortable for males or females, but we have to use a bigger size for males so it hurts more. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I'm not a male. Yeah. (laughs) So he was already in pain. The reason we had to put it in was because his bladder was filling up with urine and it couldn't come out. Yeah. So imagine when you have to desperately go to the bathroom and imagine you've been 
feeling like that for hours and it just gets worse. Oh, my God. So he was delirious with pain, um, which is what happened with our older patients. Do you, do you guys give him some drugs to relieve the pain? Or? Yeah, so we okay. were giving drugs, but the best way to fix it is to get the catheter in to take the urine out. Yeah, yeah, because it's true. fixing the problem is the best pain relief. Instead of, like, having a burst or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I haven't heard of, but I always have in the back of my mind <laughs> that might happen. Yeah, just pop like a balloon. <laughs> anyway, we were getting all our equipment set up and the reason the urine couldn't come out was because he had clots. Yeah. So he's just there pulling these blood clots out of his penis. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, out of the catheter, right? Uh, no, we hadn't gotten the catheter in. So he's just oh. holding his penis in one hand and pulling the clots oh out with the other God. hand. And then he kind of like held them and wiggled them and said, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, that's so nice, sir. Um, let us just get our stuff ready and we'll fix that problem for you. Oh, my God. Because I'm, I'm imagining it, the clots kind of like a booger but red. Yeah. So oh. b- before I went into medicine, I thought clots were scabs, hard, crusty. Yeah. And then I got into medicine and they're more like a jelly substance. So a long red booger is pretty much perfect, except by long I mean the length of my hand. Wow, that is... That is gross. Yeah. Um, like he was delirious um, with the pain, and but it it doesn't change that it's pretty gross. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so happy I'm not a guy. <laughs> well, yeah. Instead, we have the beauties of childbirth. Aren't we lucky? Pushing that out. Oh, my God. A yep. tiny hole with a big baby's head yep. or whatever. The, the signs of yep. legs come out, right? Yeah. And when things go wrong, they go wrong fast okay the first i want to hear this now (laughs) uh, the first birth that i was involved with um ended up in the operating theater unexpectedly okay um for something that we call a cord presentation a a what a A cord presentation so c-r c-o-r-d yeah okay so that's when the umbilical cord Mm -hmm. so what attaches the baby to the placenta and gives it all its nutrients and oxygen yes and the scientologists say it sometimes eat the placenta afterwards Animals do it. It's full of nutrients. Okay. Um, that cord gets trapped between the baby's head and the pelvis. So what's happening oh. is you've got this squishy cord that's yeah. getting jammed with every contraction with the baby's head coming down. Oh. And what that means is the baby is suffocating. They're not getting nutrients. Yeah. They're not getting oxygen. Yeah. It's not wrapped around the neck. It's okay. just their air supply, their air line is yeah. being blocked off. Oh, gosh. So when that happens, this poor woman... You basically have to put your fingers into the vagina, mm. push the baby's head off it with two fingers mm. with the cord in between, and then we rush them to the operating theatre oh to have a cesarean section. And, though, and the midwife's fingers stay in there until the baby is out because otherwise oh. the baby will die. Oh, my God. That's intense. Yeah, that, and that was wow. my introduction to the birthing sweat, and I was wow. terrified after that. Oh my god, I'm terrified right now. I don't think I want to give a baby. I don't think I want to get pregnant. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, um, when you birth in Australia, I guess it's good or bad. We don't really have home births in Australia. Yeah. Um, which a lot of other countries have it, and I feel like a lot of women would prefer it. But when you're in the hospital, mm. we hook you up to monitoring. So there's. <sighs> We've moved very far away from natural birthing. Yeah. Um, but you're hooked up to monitoring, so 
if that starts to happen to the baby, yeah. the monitors go off. We go in. Yeah. We see what's happening. Yeah. In this case, the midwife um, did a vaginal yeah. examination, felt yeah. what was happening, got me to call for help, and within 10 minutes the baby was out. Because if, the, if this scenario happened when you were doing a home birthing, then they probably wouldn't have been able to know the situation until yeah, so, still birth. Is that what they're called? Where, yeah. yeah um, be- so if you picked it up early enough, the midwife, yeah. again, would just – keep yeah. the baby's head off the cord, yeah. call for an ambulance, get them into a caesarean section immediately. Wow. So maybe you should go to hospitals, people, if you're having yeah. birth. <laughs> now, I had I have a friend who also became a doctor mm-hmm. and he worked in an emergency room yeah. during his rotations. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories that he told me were pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, you know, he told me stories about things getting stuck, people st- stuck up in places where it shouldn't get yeah. stuck up. Um, he also told me stories about... Um, a lot of um, drunkies mm-hmm. come in and yep. they're really violent so mm-hmm. they have to lock them in yep. a, in an isolated room. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah, we have isolation rooms. Isolation rooms, yeah. And from that experience, he then decided that he would just become a clinical psychologist instead. <laughs> well, we certainly need more psychiatrists, so there's going to be plenty of work for him. <laughs> he thinks we enjoy that more so. Yeah. So reading all the things on the internet about how to get you prepared for the emergency department or ED. Yeah. I was I basically got the impression that I should be expecting lots of strange single th- things yeah. stuck up people's butts. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And shootings and stabbings. Yes. Did you get that? Well, I got one stabbing. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, which was done with a butter knife and it wasn't particularly deep. The patient was completely fine. Oh, all right. Yeah, so not a very exciting story. Maybe it was story. a kinky I- incident that yeah. they were having. Yeah, who knows. <laughs> um, but I feel really disappointed. I haven't had any stories of people shoving things up the butt that shouldn't be up there. Okay. Hasn't been there whilst I've been working, hasn't be- even been there that day and the other doctors have told me about it. I just, I feel like I've really missed out. I think you have. What about all the other grad students who were rotating? Did they get to see things like that? Well, if they did, they didn't tell me. Oh, maybe it was a nice hospital you were at. Yeah, well, <laughs> the closest we learn about is people swallowing razor blades, so. People do that? People do that. Oh, I thought it was just a magic trick that. No. Nope. Oh, okay. That's a bit dangerous. Oh, yeah. That's why they do it. And you have you had an incident or just heard stories? Yeah, so um, we've had it, sometimes it's a collection of you know young children swallowing things they shouldn't. Okay. Um, usually true. not the razor blades because you've got to separate it from the razor head. Um, mm-hmm. But batteries are really dangerous, um, particularly those little circle ones. Okay. Um, because the acid that makes the battery run leaks out, uh. and then the acid burns all the inside of your esophagus and you can't eat. That's right. Always before Christmas, um, people say, oh, watch out for your kids yep. because if they're playing with batteries on toys. Yep. All right. They will swallow them because that's what kids do. Yeah. And then we will have to do a surgery to get it out. Wow. Like, as in completely cut them open? Or... Um, so we try to avoid the cutting open because yeah. there's complications with everything. Mm. Um, so we'll try and do what's known as a scope, which yep. is putting a long camera down. Okay. And then we get a little pair of grippy things to pull it out. Yeah. It really depends on where the button is. Okay. That sounds intense. Yeah. Uh, well, when you consider that the age of kids who do that is two or three, it's really intense. Yeah. Wow. Um, any other stories that's less sad? Less sad yeah. or... um, well, I've got a miscarriage story but that's really sad yeah. so um uh, next next yep, next yep. <laughs> so the next one i have is um so there's a hormonal 
contraceptive implant that goes into the arm. It's yes. a little rod, kind of looks like a lollipop yeah, yeah, yeah. stick. For women only, yeah, right? women. Yeah. Um, all our hormonal contraception at the moment is only for women. One day or change, males will have to take them. <laughs> it, it would be good because at the moment, if a guy doesn't want to have a kid, his only choice is condoms. Yeah, or vasectomy, right? Or yeah, vasectomy. But, that, but that means no kids forever. You yeah. can reverse them, but it doesn't always work. Mm. So anyway, we had this patient come in. She'd gone to her GP because she wanted to have kids, and so she wanted this out. Mm. Now, usually these come out after three years, and the reason for that is twofold. One, because we can't promise that there is enough um, hormones in it still to keep you mm in contraception after three years. And the other thing is the longer a foreign body's inside your body, the more scar tissue it makes, the harder it is to get out. Mm -hmm. So she'd gone to a GP to have it removed, which is how most women get them removed. And he couldn't. So she came to ED. Now, she'd had hers in for seven years. Oh, that's a long time. That's a long time, Mm. especially considering it's supposed to be three years. Yeah. So we had a super nurse or nurse practitioner. Why is it called super nurse? Uh, Well, super nurse is what they called in my head because it's shorter than nurse practitioner. Okay, all right. (laughs) Um, But these nurses have extra training. They do Uh, suturing. They can do um, minor surgery, which is what this one was doing. Um, They can give out a range of medications, including um, morphine. Okay, so they're sort of like almost like a doctor, but not really. Yeah, yeah. so different training pathways, mm. um, different things. Nurse practitioners either go into one particular specialty or they go into procedural skills like ED. Okay. So this um, super nurse was had an ultrasound probe out yeah. and was doing some minor surgery under local anaesthetic to try and pull this... I'm getting queasy already. I'm just imagining yeah. blood now. <laughs> so we've got the medical version of pliers, basically, yeah. a scalpel yeah. and an ultrasound probe, and he's just there pulling it out. I think it took him almost an hour to get it out. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. By the end of it, were you just, like, trying to hold the hand down? Uh, or? Yeah, so the woman was okay. She just turned the other way. So I just yeah. kept talking to her because med students yeah. were very good at getting in the way, and yeah. we could also distract patients. Yeah, which is probably better. <laughs> yeah. So I helped out a bit with that. And then we had some other things that were coming in, like a patient who had some brick dust in his eye. Okay. Please, please, please put your visors down when you're riding your motorcycle. The helmet <laughs> is good because it protects your brain when you crash. But the vi- <laughs> keeping your visor down means you don't get brick dust in your eye. Because when you have brick dust in your eye, such as if you were following behind a trailer that had bricks on it, we have to scratch the brick dust off your eye with a needle. And if Oh, you- my God. Yeah. Now, I'm a female. With a needle. I'm supposed to be able to do this mascara thing. I really can't because that's like bringing something close to my eye and watching me put contacts in is fucking hilarious. Yeah. But when you've got to stay still and we've got to take a needle to your eye to try and carefully pick this thing up. Oh, my God. That's pretty terrifying. So... Would you have to localise the eyes or something? Weird. Yeah, so yeah. we put some eye drops in, yeah. which is an anaesthetic, yeah. so you don't feel anything. But so you can see the But needle. you can still see it. And you can't close your eyes because we need your eyes open. We can't put you to sleep because then your eyes are op- closed and we need them open. So you kind of just have to lie there whilst we have a needle to your eye. your eye. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is, that is, that is scary. So please oh. put your visors down. <laughs> Oh my god! I don't know what to do from here now. <laughs> what are my what are my questions now? <laughs> Just in total shock. Have you, Have you been in a situation where uh, you've been in total shock or anything? Apart from the one where you fainted. Yeah. So. Um. 
There's bullying and harassment in medicine. Okay. And I think that's probably the most times I've been in shock. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had yep. a patient um, tell me, I was trying to put a cannula in, so a little tube into the vein to yep. give medications. Yeah. Um, and when you're sitting down in a chair, like when you get blood taken, it's mm. really easy to go for the inside of the elbow. Yeah. And you just sit down and the... Um, person taking the blood kind of like leans over and all as well. Yeah. But this patient was lying in bed. So you can't really sit because you've got to try and get all the angles right. Yeah. So I tend to kneel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kneel, I can get all of my equipment next to me. For me, it's just really comfortable and it's easy to get the cannula in. Yeah. Um, so this gentleman, older gentleman, not demented, not delirious this time, so no excuses. So no drugs whatsoever. Nope. He's just come in and waiting to yep. get his cannula. <laughs> you know, it's been a very long time since I had a pretty young girl on her knees in front of me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. Oh, well, it's funny in hindsight, but when you're there, you're just I'm you're completely, job, yeah. Yeah, you're completely frozen. I need to put this cannula in so we can give you the medications you need yeah. to treat you. Yeah. This is in your best interest. You have agreed to the needle. You don't have a needle phobia. Yeah. I'm really just trying to do my job, mate. Yeah, I think when you're doing it at the time, it could be quite off-putting because you're yeah. like, hey, look, I'm a professional here. Yeah. Uh, let's not go to the yeah. dirty jokes. Um, but I'm sorry, but in hindsight, it's It's, it's kind of funny, it's yeah. It's funny. But yeah. it's also not unheard of. Um, mm. One of my other female colleague medical students two years ago almost the exact same comment as well yeah cannula putting a cannula in kneeling um whilst the patient was in a chair and Mm. oh it's been a long time since i've had a young woman on her knees in front of me well that's nice but if i'm going to ask questions about your sex life i just come out and ask them i don't want to know about your sex life if i'm not asking (laughs) and You've already mistaken me for a nurse every single time I've seen you this week. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to be a doctor so I can yeah. save people like you. Well, nurses do a great job, yeah. but there are also two different skills. Mm. There are things nurses can do that I can't do, Yeah. that I won't do. Yeah. I have... <sighs> I care about my patients, I do, Yeah. but I kind of don't want to sit there whilst they cry and tell them everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And nurses do some of that. Yeah. They also do amazing jobs. Nurses are the ones who really know about a patient's life. The emotional support and the, yeah. What's happening at yeah. home, etc. Yeah. For me, that doesn't really interest me as much. Yeah. So we have different roles. Mm. One is not better than the other. Yeah. It just, doctors have more medical knowledge and so we often call the shots and make the plans yeah but for example if you're doing a wound dressing we get no teaching about that in med school yeah. i will defer to my nurses almost always because yeah. like, as a doctor like um you gotta sort of sometimes make hard decisions yeah. so i guess if you get too close to your patient and know everything it, it might um dis- distort yeah. you know some of the decisions that you should be making mm-hmm. on a professional level yeah. instead of going Oh, but there's that factor. Yeah. Yeah. So part of it is you just get into an empathetic Mm. depression. Oh. You just get so burnt out that you kind of can't care anymore. So having a little bit of distance between you and Mm. your patients, it helps protect you. Yeah. Um, It may not be the best thing for the patients, but it's something that almost all the doctors I've seen do. Yeah. Um, And we also have professionality things like... I can't treat my friends or family unless would... they are literally dying in front of me. Okay. Which is possibly one of the times I wouldn't want to treat them because if they do die, it's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one, you know, talking about conflict of conflict of interest. emotional interest. Yeah. And, yeah. So if we are too close to a patient, mm. we can't treat them. Yeah. 
It's all right. Um, I, I won't ask for you then. <laughs> <laughs> and and so um, from here, when you mm-hmm. go to Wagga, yep. you're, what are you going to specialise in? Yeah, so... You don't get to choose your specialisation until two years after you finish med school. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking either anaesthetics at the moment, so yeah. the doctors who put you to sleep, yeah. um, or a GP anaesthetist, which means I work as a GP in a rural location yes. and I do anaesthetics on the side uh, in a rural location. For a hospital yes. or anywhere? It, I can work anywhere, but usually it's a rural hospital because okay. if it's a city hospital, they've got fully-fledged anaesthetists. Yeah. And so um, being an anaesthetist... Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually, apparently, this is what they told me after, yeah. I, I've sung, apparently, when I'm yep. in, in theatre. Mm-hmm. Hope it was in tune. Yes, literally in theatre I yep. was singing. <laughs> so is this a common case? Yeah, so um, when you have an anaesthetic for a surgery or an operation, there's a couple of different choices we have. Okay. One is we can do, like, a local block. So that might be something like an epidural, like a woman has in labour. Mm-hmm. So you're completely awake. The rest of your body is not affected. It's just completely numb and paralyzed in one point. So we can do that for arms, we can do that for fingers, we can do that for legs, etc. So it's a really good option. Um, Most patients choose Mm. no to that because they'll hear the screws and and swords and they don't want that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't want that either. So that's fully conscious. The next step down is what we call sedation or twilight anesthesia. Sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah, less vampires. No, but less vampires. <laughs> okay. We do Sparkling vampires. Yeah, so we give you this anxiolytic, which is a medication that reduces your anxiety, makes you a bit loose. Mm. Which um, some of the anaesthetists do say. So here comes the bubbles because it is like champagne. It makes oh, you a wow. bit like tipsy. Yeah. Lowers your inhibitions, lowers your stress. Okay. Um, so we'll give that, and we'll give some um, some pain relief, so you don't feel anything. Yeah. Um, and then. But, the patient's like half asleep, so they might talk, they may move. So in those cases, we just keep everything really quiet so the patient yeah. doesn't wake up. Okay. Um, so if we've got music on, the music's mellow, mellow, it's quiet. We're not playing any of the headbangers, etc. So was that probably where I was, where I started singing? Yeah, probably. Okay, all right. <laughs> Either that or you were having a general anaesthetic, which is when we completely paralyse the patient. Uh-huh. Um, but this was before you got to the general part. They would have just given you the bubbles, the bubbles yep. before they got started. Okay. And the, the general means you're completely zonked out. Completely zonked out. Yeah. So in that case, the anaesthetist is controlling literally every aspect of your body. Oh, my God. It's scary. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, they control your temperature. Yeah. They control your heart rate, your blood pressure. Yeah. Um, we make sure that your brain activity stays in certain levels so you're not too awake, you're yeah. not too asleep. Mm. Um we you're completely paralyzed so we have a machine breathing for you oh, wow that yeah that's, that's literally a cyborg now yeah <laughs> relying on a machine yeah so the anaesthetist's job is to keep you alive whilst the surgeon does his things yeah or her thing yeah so then if an operation let's say goes for 10 hours yeah and you are the anaesthetist mm-hmm. who has to watch over yeah so that means what, what do you do do you just watch the whole operation so um if it's for 10 hours there's almost always another anaesthetist around so you do get breaks okay we have to give you breaks because otherwise it's just not safe yeah i was about to say that yeah quite a bit and also eventually we're going to have to pay 
Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Um. So anaesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> so all the anaesthetists I know are a little bit quirky. So they all have a. What are you trying to say about yourself? You're a bit quirky yourself. <laughs> Absolutely, I fit in perfectly. They all have an obscure hobby. So one of them is one of two handmade kilt makers in New South Wales. Amazing. He makes his own quilt. Uh, kilts all by hand. So it's Scottish background, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. Um, another one does ballroom dancing. So he'd show me videos whilst we were watching the patient and yeah. he'd like show me a couple of moves on the corner of the operating theater. Literally you are in theater. Oh, dancing. Yep. Dancing. <laughs> yep. Um, some bring the knitting in, some play Sudoku, some have Kenny crush or angry birds, whatever the flavor of the month is on the phone. Um, and the whole time, the anaesthetist will keep looking at the machines. We'll keep yeah. looking at the patient if we can see them because yeah. we've got drapes everywhere. Uh, okay. Um, and the machine also has beepers on. So if anything goes out of whack, mm, mm. we'll hear it and we can see it. What's your quirky uh, side hobby? So I spin wool, like with a spinning wheel. <laughs> like out of Sleeping Beauty where she's yeah. like spinning. Yeah, that kind of. Yeah. But well, not, obviously not when you're in theatre, right? No, because it's too much stuff to bring in. Yeah. <laughs> So I probably just knit or something in theatre or read a book. <laughs> All right. But clearly not an exciting book because then I'll just read the book and not look after the patient. patient. That would be bad. <laughs> wow. And then the doctors themselves, like the, sorry, the surgeons yep. who are operating, let's yep. say they operate for like mm-hmm. 10 hours. Yep. Um, do they change over as well? or? Yeah. So surgery is a bit different because... Mm. Anesthetics, different anesthetists are very different, mm. and every anesthetist will have their own perfect cocktail for patients. Okay. It's one of the things I really like about anesthetics is every patient, you change the amount of drugs and the type of drugs and the timing of the drugs for each yeah. patient. Because of different weight. And yeah. Different, uh, different procedures, yeah. and each anesthetist has their own favorite drugs, etc. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> but surgeons, surgeons kind of just don't let go. So usually when a surgeon operates, you've got the fully trained surgeon and Mm. then you have the surgical registrar. So they're the one on the surgery training program and they're kind of working together. So they do need lunch. Um, They may decide if it's a five or six hour procedure just to go straight through. Okay. So clearly they time their water intake before that very carefully. Yeah. I never thought of this. Yeah. Because um, they can't just go and have a break and go, oh, I need to go pee or something like that. Yeah. Wow. Um, if it's longer, then they'll make sure that they take their breaks in separate things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what they do there. Um, it takes a lot of coordination and preparation yeah. uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess if, let's say, someone was desperately needing to go to the toilet, yep. one of the surgeons, because mm-hmm. they'll have to, like, um, take all the scrubs off yep. and then, they, mm-hmm. like you say, it takes five minutes yep. to wash your hands again mm-hmm. to yep. come back in. So let's say all that process, would that usually, usually for a normal person, it'll be like, what, five minutes? For a doctor, yeah. it'll be like, what, half an hour? Well, process? maybe not that long. Yeah. So. It depends on where you are with the surgery. Mm. If the patient is actively bleeding and you need two people to control yeah. it, you can't leave. Yeah. If it's a um, more stable part of the surgery, yeah, you've got to step away from the patient. Mm. Um, maybe you have to find other people to hold the retractors so we can still see what we need to see. Yeah. So retractors are basically just these cup that they sticks with a curve on the end of it, and we use it to hold, hold. the flesh open. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you've got to make sure there's someone ready to hold those, which is usually the med student. <laughs> yeah, very go. good at holding things. Um, 
and then you step away. You then have to take um, your sterile gloves off, and there's two pairs of those, mm-hmm. and your sterile gown off. Mm-hmm. You then walk outside the theatre and take your mask off. Mm-hmm. You then go to the bathroom, eat your food, yeah. and that might take, well, 10 minutes because yeah. they don't give themselves really good breaks. Yeah. Um, you come back. You then wash your hands again for yeah. five minutes. Okay, yes, right. Put your gown on. Put two pairs of gloves awesome. on after you put your mask on, and then you go in, and then you're ready to operate again. That's a that's a routine. It's, it's good to have this kind of routine, yeah. though. But, you know, it takes time if they yes. want to take a break. So you've got to plan it throughout the procedure. Um, mm. For example, I was working recently with a plastic surgery team and we had a patient who came in who was a removalist. Mm. Um, and when he was moving the furniture, he was moving a piano and he slipped. Oh, no. So... Acme would tell me that having a piano fall on you is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> In the case of this patient, it means that one eyeball immediately popped. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Pop- I just think like popped out of the eye socket. Well, I was hoping – well, not hoping. It was really bad that it yeah. happened, but I was hoping that when we opened the eyelid, there would just be like pieces of eyeball in there. Uh-huh. You like pop. Uh-huh. But it still looked like an eyeball, so that was a bit disappointing. Oh. I'm told that it enucleated or something, so basically he'll never see through that eye again. Oh, no. And because of the condition he came in, the entire front of his face was all smashed up. Oh, no. Um, and when that happens, he couldn't breathe. And we couldn't put a tube down his throat either because oh, no. the front of his face was disintegrated. So we actually had to do what's called a tracheostomy. So we had to cut a hole in his neck to get to his trachea so we could get him to breathe. Yeah. You know, when you press on it and you've got a Darth Vader voice? Yeah. Yeah. That. Oh, my God. That is intense. Yeah. So he was in ICU for several weeks before we could operate. Wow. And when we got to the operation, that was like 10, 11 hours. The surgeons are switching in and out in between. And we ended up having to pull the piece of his nose out from between his eyes. Oh, my God. I am getting queasy. Yeah. We had the neurosurgery team on call in case um, we had to go from the brain inwards to push these things out because we weren't sure if we'd be able to pull it. We thought we might have to push it, which means neurosurgery would have to come in, open up the skull, get the brain out of the way and push it forward. Oh, my God. So, and the whole time he's still in ICU. We can't, yeah. he's um, he's under general anaesthetic. The whole time? Yeah. Because he would be in so much pain, right? Yeah, so much pain. So we don't actually know if he can see out of his other eye. Oh, my God. Because that got damaged as well. Yeah. But it's not an instant anatomically we'll never see through it again. So oh, we can't tell man. that. It was really tough. So I'm guessing he wouldn't have been able to eat either. No. So how would he have been fed over yeah. that 11, 11 mm-hmm. weeks, was it? Uh, he was in ICU at least two weeks before the surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So how did he eat then? So when you can't eat, we've got a couple of options. Yeah. So one is called a nasogastric tube. So we put a tube down your nose. Oh, into your stomach and we push the world's grossest ever looking smoothie down that. Okay. Luckily you can't taste it. Okay. Um, but when we put that tube down, you're gagging a lot. Yeah. 
We couldn't do that for this patient because his nasal bones were all smashed up and there is a very real risk that that tube could have gone into the brain. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much risk with this. Yeah. So we couldn't do that. Okay. Um, so I believe what they ended up doing is we can also do what's called a peg tube, which is when we do a surgery in the stomach okay, and we yeah. put the food immediately into your stomach. All right. And we also have what's called parenteral feeding, which just means it doesn't go through the GI tract, where we hook up a special gross smoothie. GI tract, which is? Uh, your bowels. It okay, doesn't go yeah, through yeah. your okay. gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we hook up a sterile smoothie and we push it through your veins. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is, that, look, this is all like new to me and yep. really intense and I am sort of getting queasy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens sometimes. Uh, like there are some things that just make you queasy. Yeah. And doctors have the same thing. Uh, if you ask any nurse or doctor, mm. there is one body fluid that they just cannot handle. Yeah. For me, it's saliva. Yeah. You get like, I have to put my finger in someone's mouth and eh, 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 Like one, they'll bite me, but also there's saliva and like tongues, they're so wiggly and like. And they got like little, little yeah, like, I just, um, sand dust. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you saw. Yeah. 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 Sand paper. I, I just I can't handle saliva. Other okay. people can't handle phlegm, so when you're yeah. coughing up stuff. Oh, oh my god, no, I don't think I can do that. Some either. people can't handle snot. Some people can't handle like spinal fluid if yeah. it's leaking. Yeah. Or blood, like myself. Yeah. Not gonna lie, most of the nurses and doctors can handle blood because it's pretty common. Yeah, I know. For me, and I'll be just... for nurses, if you can't handle urine or yeah. fecal matter, you're you're out. Good thing I'm not in the healthcare, you know, sector. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever go in there. <laughs> uh, well, we've got positions as like wards people and stuff. So <laughs> I still have to see blood. I don't think I can yeah. cope with that. <laughs> so maybe like most of the times, like everyone's resuscitating me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the positions that our ward people help. If yeah. we have what's called a MET call, which is an emergency yeah. inside the hospital, we'll have ward people come because we can only do so much CPR before you tire out. Yeah. And it doesn't actually take that much skill to do CPR. So the doctors will all be doing the blood test, yeah. putting the tubes in, giving yeah. the drugs, and we'll have a ward person doing the CPR. Yeah. 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 You need like a whole team. Just, Absolutely. Uh, just in case, like, you know, something goes wrong up yep. here or there. Yeah. Well, you know what? Hats down to you, man. This is, this is fantastic. I'm so glad I, I didn't end up doing yeah, medicine, but I'm glad you are. Even though your parents didn't win Asian bingo? <laughs> My, my parents were a type my tiger mom wanted me to be a doctor yeah she pushed me so hard it was either that or then become an orthodontist and i'm like no, i can't do that either yeah gross teeth and gross saliva teeth. Yeah, yeah 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 and, and i remember doing like um i think it was in high school where you yeah. had to do two weeks of work experience yeah. um and then obviously i had to choose dentistry because my mother pushed me yeah. to do that mm -hmm. and i just i literally had to walk out of the room when when the dentist was pulling her teeth out because yeah. i just couldn't cope with the blood mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> But I'm glad, you, you know, you, there's people like you who, who who are able to face it, and apart from the saliva part. <laughs> oh, yeah, that stuff's just manky. <laughs> and so I, I hope all the best. Thank with you. Wagga, and thank you so much for coming. That's okay. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was amazing just to learn everything. And I hope this will inspire a lot of you know, youngsters, uh, whether you're from an Asian background or from any background, um, with white tiger moms or normal tiger moms or, <laughs> or tiger parents in general, that you're going to be a little more prepared now of yeah. what to expect. Medicine's a hard yak, but 
if you can't think of doing anything other than being a doctor, it's totally worth it. Yep. And, you know, contributing to society and helping people because we yep. need more empathetic people. And also, we also understand that sometimes, like, I just understood from our conversation that you do need to step away from the patient, like, yep. to build a bit of a, a gap because you'll be operating on them. So you yep. can't get too emotionally close. Yep. And patients will die. We try our yeah. hardest not to, but patients will die. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in a, inevitable because, like, what happens when you go to hospital is because something's, you know, you need yeah. to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's not the doctor's fault that or, or whatever. It's just sometimes it's just fate that yeah. it's your time as well. And that must be really hard as well for young doctors coming on board to, to you know, gap. Yeah. Yeah, to understand that you have to let go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs> Very welcome. <laughs> Bag right out. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For the latest updates and posts, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you love it as much as Captain Bagrat and I do, uh, please support us on Patreon, where we hope that our dream of having our own TV show will become a reality one day. So then we can continue to fight boring news on everything, anything, and nothing with an Asian twist. Thanks for your support. Bagrat out. Solid.